Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Most of the NBA is taking a break right now as we are in the middle of All-Star Weekend, or I guess the start of All-Star Weekend, since we're recording this on Friday. And we are going to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I'm here today with Nathan Smith. And Nathan, how are you? I'm doing well, Nick. It's good to be back. Got uh, the Rising Stars game in the background and ready to talk about the OKC Thunder. And let's start off on that conversation about the Oklahoma City Thunder by talking about the most important move the franchise has made, I think, maybe since Kevin Durant left. You could argue for the Russell Westbrook extension, but I think the Paul George extension might actually end up being more indicative of the future of this franchise. After trading for basically a rental of Paul George, the Thunder, against all odds, and certainly against all Lakers fan written odds, re-signed with the Thunder on a four-year deal. And we will certainly talk more later in the podcast about just how transformative Paul George has been on the floor this year for Oklahoma City. But obviously all of that starts with the Thunder getting him to recommit on that long-term deal. What were your thoughts on that, especially given how maybe last year the fit wasn't as great as it certainly looked so far this year? Well, my thoughts, of course, when, when he signed was that he might have had a better op- opportunity elsewhere. Of course, I was personally predicting that he would end up um, in, a, in a Lakers uniform. No, really? A Lakers fan predicting Paul George would have signed with the Lakers? It's such a surprise. I almost didn't say it, right? <laughs> but, you know... If, if there was a team that I wanted to see him go back to um, other than the Lakers, it would be the Thunder. I am a big Russell Westbrook fan. And at the end of the day, you really can't fault Paul George. That's the opportunity he thought was the best for him. Um, he was building a lot of chemistry with Russ. But the most impressive part, as you kind of alluded to, was, yeah, they, they looked pretty good last year, but uh, they looked like they had a ceiling. And this year, they, they look like, well, of course, they still have a ceiling, but it's, it's definitely higher than last year. Paul George is playing at a all-NBA level, potentially an MVP level. So... As of now, you can't really knock it. I mean, they're in a much better position than the Lakers, and Paul George is having a career year. It's really interesting to me that last offseason, both LeBron James and Paul George committed on these four-year deals. And I think it stands in stark contrast to the way that Kevin Durant has approached things the last couple of years, where it's been only one plus one deals. That's also sort of how LeBron lived out his second stint in Cleveland with all of these one plus one deals to give themselves a chance to re-enter free agency. And yet, Paul George didn't go with the one-year option. He committed his future to this team. And I'm almost more surprised at the length of the contract than I was at the fact that he decided to stick around in OKC. Yeah, the the length was arguably the most surprising part to me. Um, There were a few hints, um, if you wanted to read the tea leaves during last season, that would have told you that Paul George was seriously considering staying when much of the media would have you think that he was um, just going by the original plan of being a rental. He mentioned how Russ was making the decision easier and easier on him. Um, but as you alluded to with LeBron's deals, he's kind of set a precedent across the league for superstars. And the four-year deal was widely criticized by a lot of um, NBA cap guys. But again, it's one of those things where who really cares to a degree? I mean, Paul George is happy where he is. Um, the four-year deal might not have been the smartest, depending on your perspective, but it shows, um, it, sh- it really shows the level that he's, he really is comfortable there. Um, and what he thinks of that franchise moving forward. He's mentioned, uh, multiple times, and of course everyone says this, but he's mentioned how much he loves the fans. And, um, he said with conviction how much he really loves the franchise and playing with guys like Russ and, uh, and Steven Adams moving forward. So 
the four-year deal shows his commitment, and it's, it's just a huge reason for uh, Thunder fans to be excited about the uh, the extended window and longevity of this of this team. The other major move that Oklahoma City made this offseason was trading for Dennis Schroeder, although you can also view it as trading away Carmelo Anthony. The deal was Dennis Schroeder from the Hawks to the Thunder. The Hawks traded Mike Muscala to the Philadelphia 76ers as part of the deal. The Thunder traded Carmelo and a 2022 first-round pick to the Hawks. Carmelo was waived pretty close to immediately. And then the Sixers also sent Justin Anderson to the Hawks and Timothy Luau Cabarro to the Thunder. A number of those players are no longer on the teams that they were set to as a part of this trade. But on the Schroeder side of things, the Thunder turned Carmelo's pretty dead money into someone who's been a really valuable sixth man for them. And obviously the Thunder aren't going to have a better sixth man than James Harden probably ever, certainly not anytime soon. But it's been really helpful for the Thunder who have for many years now struggled to get even a competent backup point guard to have someone as talented as Schroeder in that backup point guard spot. And he's looked really good for them this year. Yeah, in that trade, a lot of people, um, you mentioned both sides of it, of course, in terms of how to view it, but a lot of people just called it the Carmelo Anthony trade and just said that um, just getting rid of him off the roster was was addition by subtraction. And uh, while, while it was, um, a lot of people really ignored that the Thunder really solved a big team need. Um, as far as acquiring Dennis Schroeder, they got arguably the best um, best or one of the best six men in the league and arguably um, the best backup point guard in the league, as Paul George called him. They've notably struggled, as you mentioned as well, when Russell Westbrook is off the court um, the past couple seasons, in the, in the post-Durant era at least. And to be able to have a guy that can A, solve that, and B, also kind of fit perfectly alongside Russell Westbrook in, in those two point guard lineups is really something that's helped the Thunder take uh, take their their game to the next level this year. Um, just real quickly to point out, he also just celebrated Dennis Schroeder did the birth of his uh, first child. Um, third player on the Thunder, actually, to have a kid this season, Russell Westbrook and Ferguson um, brought one into the world as well with their significant others. But um, back to the on-the-court stuff, Dennis Schroeder really um, is almost going kind of under the radar. I haven't really heard much about him as far as six-man-of-the-year candidate. Um, there's other candidates that'll probably be uh, more deserving, but at this moment, as it stands, it's definitely one of the best um, acquisitions of the offseason for not just the Thunder, but for, for any team. It helps that he's shooting a career-high 36% from three-point range on also a career-high 4.2 attempts per game. Him being able to space the floor was something that nobody really should have anyway expected him to be able to do for the Thunder given that his outside shot was probably his biggest weakness during his years in Atlanta but he's been decent from out there which is really all you could have hoped for from someone who's been a below average shooter through the rest of their career and he's been willing to share the ball which I think is super helpful he is I think one of the more underrated six man of the year candidates even though I don't think he's going to end up winning it Certainly think that Julius Randle is going to be higher on the consideration list than him, especially if he continues to play as well as he did in his last game for the Pelicans. But Schroeder's been a really underrated part of OKC's success so far this season. And I think part of that is that defense is not exactly his greatest strength, but it is the greatest strength for this Thunder team overall. So maybe people are 
underrating his impact, generally speaking, just because the way that the team has been most successful this year is not exactly his strongest area. But going from the Samaji Christians of the world to Dennis Schroeder is an almost incomparable leap for this Thunder team. But let's move from their offseason into talking about their regular season so far. And I wanted to start out by talking about their big man rotation and Steven Adams in particular. And when you're talking about underrated, he certainly belongs in that conversation along with Schroeder. I mean, Steven Adams does everything that no one else wants to do on an NBA court and is perfectly happy with the fact that he's not getting the kind of star attention that someone who's as effective as he is on the floor usually does. And maybe part of that is that he's got that big contract now and he's perfectly happy flying under the radar. But man, everything you would want a complimentary big man to do, Steven Adams not only does, but does at a high level. I guess the one remaining thing is if he could be a three-point shooter, but there's no reason for him to try and work that into his game because he's so effective without it. Yeah, he's definitely one of the the rare big men where, I mean, sure, anybody added a three-point shot, that'd be great, but you're right, he really doesn't need to at all. Um, It's interesting when you see players like Steven Adams and Drew Holiday are the first two, at least that come to mind in this scenario, where when they initially sign a contract, um, re-sign with their their team, where everyone's criticized the deal, said they're overrated, overpaid, and then you fast forward a couple years and could argue they're you know, well, no, you couldn't argue it's, it's a fact. They're both underrated and uh, probably underpaid at this point with the inflation of the salary cap. When you look at Adams and how he compliments um, Russell Westbrook on the court, it's their chemistry is is elite bar none. I mean, they, they're the types that know where each other's going to be on the court at, at every time. You see a lot of no-look passes between the two. Um, he also helps, honestly, just kind of the stability there. Um, when you've got a guy that can that can box out multiple guys at the same time. He's not worried about the individual stats. He's going to be able to not um, take anything away from guys like Russ and PG or any of the role players. He's kind of that that um, versatile guy, regardless of position, kind of like a Tobias Harris that could arguably fit alongside any any team roster in the league. So when you have stability like that on the inside, um, it helps in all those ways. And it's, it's also great for guys like Jeremy Grant um, getting to play behind him and, and kind of learn from Adams and continuously grow. Let's actually talk about Jeremy Grant now that you've brought him up. His three-point shooting this season might be even more surprising than Dennis Schroeder's, honestly. He's now a 37% three-point shooter, or at least has been this year, on a healthy number of attempts, a little over three shots from deep per game. And that was really, I think, the last piece that he needed to add to be a consistent rotation player was that three-point shot to be able to be a more effective off-ball player. And he's started almost every game for the Thunder so far this year. And he was already a monster on the defensive end. I think one of the few people in the league who genuinely can switch one through five if necessary. And having him as a compliment to Steven Adams in that front court is an underrated part of how incredible the Thunder have been so far this year. Obviously, I think the lion's share of the credit on that front should go to Paul George, which we will certainly discuss later on in this podcast. But Jeremy Grant being able to be a decent three-point shooter, if he can keep that up, he's secured himself a long career in this league. And without that three-point shot, I'm not sure how much longer he would have lasted as a defensive specialist. But Now that he's got that shot in his game, hopefully he can keep it up going forward, but he's just a nightmare to 
deal with on the defensive end as someone who can basically plug any hole around two incredibly capable defenders in Steven Adams and Paul George. Yeah, I actually thought it was kind of bizarre that there was even a question of who would be the starting power forward between him and Patrick Patterson heading into the season. I mean, you look at Patterson as just kind of like a end-of-the-bench rotation filler veteran presence guy. Um, no disrespect to him, but I think at this point in his career, that's that's kind of what he is. Um, while a lot of people, including myself, and it sounds like you, didn't expect Grant to shoot 37% from three this year, um, that's been fantastic. But I think even without that, he's still been a fantastic presence for them. Um, when you look at lineups with uh with him on the court um just o- just overall um they rank in the 94th percentile in terms of any five man lineup combination in the, in the league with a uh with a plus minus differential of plus uh 10.5 points um if you look at their defensive numbers they they support um exactly what you said and, and what kind of, I'm kind of alluding to as well he's really just been everything you want out of the four position from the thunder um when you've got a, guys behind him like um well we'll get to Marquise Morris but when you've got a guy behind the buck, Maryland Snowell as well. It's really quite remarkable what um, what the Thunder's defensive ceiling can be. Of course, you've got Stephen Adams, who we already talked about. But when you have guys like Jeremy Grant and Maryland Snowell behind them, um, it kind of is to their big man position what Dennis Schroeder is to their their guard position, and that he can kind of supplement when a guy like Russ or in this case Adams is off the court, but they can also play alongside him. So the Thunder have not only added these quality pieces, but um, a lot of different lineup combinations they can they can put out there are going to be successful, and it certainly speaks well to the playoff potential of Oklahoma City that um, they do look so deep and versatile at this point. Only one player has played all 57 games for the Thunder so far this season. He also played in all 82 games last season, and that player is Patrick Patterson. <laughs> it's really unfortunate to talk about him just in the sense that he looked like he was really breaking out in Toronto and then he just had all those knee injuries and it's great that he's been able to recover to the point where he's been able to play so consistently over the last couple of seasons but something's just not there that used to be there and really the main thing is that he had so much potential as a stretch four and while his numbers from deep are down this season the shooting touch is still there. The problem is really just everything else. And this will be a bit harder to juggle in terms of how Markeith Morris fits into this rotation. But if I were Billy Donovan, I don't see why most of Patrick Patterson's minutes aren't already going to Nerlens Noel. On the one hand, Patterson at least has the threat of being a long-range shooter. But on the other hand, Noel does pretty much everything else so much better that I feel like the team would be better served by playing him more. I think the real solution going forward is just going to be that Marquise Morris gets most of both of their minutes. But what are your thoughts on that debate between Patrick Patterson and Nerlens Noel off the bench? I personally would argue that Patrick Patterson uh, shouldn't even play for the Thunder, especially now with the addition of Marquise Morris. Um, Nerlens Noel is by no means a great mid-range shooter or anything like that, but he actually kind of showed off a little bit of mid-range ability the other night. Um, when they played him against the Pelicans. Um, his play alongside Adams there might have been a little matchup specific just because, well, you, I mean, you had Anthony Davis for a half, but you've also got um, Julius Randle, who always kills the Thunder, and uh, Jaleel Okafor. So with all those bigs um, playing a lot of minutes, I guess that would be as good a time as any to try out the uh, Noel Adams lineup, especially with Adams um, just looking a bit exhausted, which he rarely shows any signs of weakness, but just looking a bit exhausted the last couple games pre-break. But 
to your um, to your point, as far as Patrick Patterson and Erlens Noel, while we know the Thunder don't, you know, in theory have a bunch of shooters out there in most lineups, I, I would still argue that you're not really missing much if you just plug Nerlens Noel in, whether it's alongside Adams or not, as far instead of Patrick Patterson. Patterson, of course, can make the outside shot, but I don't think any teams are by any means game planning around that or or trying to run him off the three point line too much or are really scared at all um, about that. So I would go with Nerlens. I would go for the defensive upside, and I think the Thunder have enough shooting and enough offense on a team led by by Russ and PG, um, despite the shooting woes of Russ. I think they've got enough where they should um, just opt opt to go with Nerlens in that spot. And if if anything, you get your your stretch power forward shooting from you know Grant and, and Marquis. And let's bring up that Marquis Morris buyout signing now. I think this is underratedly huge for the Thunder. Now that he's been cleared to come back to the court after his neck issue, he sort of fills to the best of the ability of anyone that was going to hit the buyout market. Sort of that sweet spot between Nerlens Noel and Patrick Patterson. He's about between the two of them in size. Patterson, 6'9", Noel, close to 7 foot. Morris, about 6'10". But he's a little bit bulkier than Nerlens. And he's also a less theoretical shooter, I think, at this point than Patrick Patterson. Even though Patterson was still solid from deep last year, that's fallen off a bit this year. And having Markeith Morris as your seventh or eighth guy, given the rest of this team's rotation, is really solid. I'm not sure he's as good of a... No, let me rephrase that. He's not as good of a defender as Nerlens Noel, but he's someone, I think, that's a bit more of a 3-4-5 type rather than a pure five, maybe occasional minutes at the four type like Nerlens Noel. So I think this signing could be really huge for the Thunder down the stretch and might help them push for the two seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I think in Washington, I, I don't want to, I want to tread lightly here because, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but it, it almost strikes me as the type of situation where once he was bought out, of course, he would all of a sudden be healthy. I mean, there wasn't as much of a reason to really rush back onto a Washington team that's kind of been a, well... You can say garbage fire. It's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was to um, channel my inner, inner Alvin Gentry. It's been kind of a, a dumpster fire over there. Um, and now that he's, you know, in a winning environment on a team riddled with guys that give defensive effort nonstop, I think that, you know, he kind of has no choice but to, um, I don't want, I'm not trying to imply that he wasn't trying before at, by any means, but he has no choice but to give kind of more of a, of a heightened defensive effort. Um, now that he's on a team led by, um, Paul George, who very well could be the, uh, defensive player of the year and Westbrook and Ferguson and all these guys that are just tenacious on defense, um, that really don't care about their ability. They just, come out and give effort no matter what. And it ends up um, having to coincide with the fact they had defensive ability. But I think the fit overall would be great. Um, we already talked about how the front court minutes would be better spent on him most likely than Patterson. And being that he can play kind of a three, four, five, I don't, I think it actually just kind of helps give guys like Paul George and Grant and Noel kind, kind of a little bit of a breather if needed. Let's move on to the wings and guards. And when you're talking about wings and guards for the Thunder team so far this season, you have to start the conversation with Paul George. I thought that the MVP race was pretty much down to a two-person race right around end of December. And then James Harden had a ridiculous month of January. And I think Paul George might have had an even more ridiculous month of January, to be entirely honest. At this point in the year, he's leading the league in steals. He's 
scoring just under 29 points per game. He's shooting 41% from deep on a healthy number of attempts. He's maybe the defensive player of the year, certainly in the top three. And I don't think he cracks the top spot in the MVP ranking. Frankly, at this point, I would be surprised if Giannis does not end the season as the MVP. But Paul George has really made this a three-man race for the MVP. And I'm not sure I would have expected that even in December. And even through the first couple months of the season, it was pretty clear that he was having a special year. And he's just somehow kicked it up to yet another level over the last month and a half or so. I mean, it's hard, honestly, to talk enough about how incredible Paul George has been for the Thunder this season. He really has been amazing. As we mentioned earlier, it's been an absolute career year for him. Uh, believe it or not, I would I would actually argue for for him being this, uh, the number two in the MVP race right now. And I would, I would actually argue, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but argue for Giannis to be number one and Harden number three. Um, I'm not going to make this some anti-Harden thing or anything, but I think when you look at um, Paul George and Giannis, teams are not not scared to play the Thunder and Bucks, but but they they certainly look like more more intimidating matchups. Um, not as much with the Rockets this year, especially just based on the fact that they're a little bit thin. With, they're very thin with all these injuries, and they were um, at least more impressive. Um, last year, at least so far, we've still got plenty of season left, um, about 25 games or so. A lot of this can change, but Paul George has put himself on the MVP radar. And I guess as of now, he'd have to be right there as well as far as defensive player of the year candidate. Um, not only his individual stats, but just the eye test as well. He just absolutely dominates games on defense out there. It's really impressive. And the whole team kind of follows, um, follows behind him. So I guess what I'm really getting at is he's the defensive MVP to me. Um, that's not an award, so I guess in my eyes, I've got to give him the uh, Defensive Player of the Year award, at least as of now. I think that I would have Paul George as the Defensive Player of the Year right now. I think that some of the previous candidates slash winners for that award haven't been as special on the defensive end this year as they have been in the past. Kawhi, I don't think, has been anywhere near his San Antonio-level defense so far this season. Draymond Green's obviously fallen off a bit since his peak years. Rudy Gobert's been fantastic on the defensive end as usual, but the Jazz had a rough stretch towards the start of the year. And I think that defensive player of the year, honestly, much like MVP, might come down to a race between Paul George and Giannis. I think I would have Giannis over Paul George for MVP pretty clearly. But if I'm doing that, I think I would probably give Paul George the nod on the defensive end over Giannis. I think it's pretty close between those two on the defensive end. But I think Giannis's overall impact is somehow greater. And obviously his team is the second best team in the NBA pretty clearly this year. And while OKC has been a top five team, I don't think they're in that same echelon as the Bucks and the Warriors. But let's move on to the other all-star from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russell Westbrook has been having in many ways a career year, except for one particular area of the game. And the biggest issue has been that in that one particular area of the game, which is, you know, actually getting the ball into the basket on anything approaching league average efficiency, Russ has been pretty terrible, to be entirely honest. But I think he deserves a lot of credit for taking a bit more of a backseat than I ever would have expected for him in the post-KD era Thunder. And it's tough because his season has been really spectacular outside of his shooting, which has been record-breakingly awful, especially his three-point percentage, which 
he continues to be the worst high volume three point shooter in the history of the NBA, but at least credit to him for not shooting the thunder out of a whole bunch of games when he's been off from the floor so far this year. Yeah. One thing with Russell Westbrook is, and they, I think they mentioned this on the Bill Simmons pod the other day that even in games where he's shooting, you know, five of 20 or, or, you know, he's just off from the field. He's so tenacious and he just keeps coming back, attacking, 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 attacking the rim, driving into the paint, finding others. So a lot of the narrative with Westbrook this year has been, you know, about the shooting woes. And a lot of people are, are so quick to say, um, to bring up the negatives without also bringing up the positives like, like you did. But I think he's what's even most impressive to me is kind of his ability to still affect the game as much as he always has, despite the shooting woes. And then something else that you mentioned, um, the way he's not really taken, not taken a, I guess you could say a backseat, but, um, just really been, you know, the, the co-alpha, um, instead of the whole, you know, I'm, I'm the man type thing that a lot of people might, might have expected. He's really allowed Paul George to shine and he's figured out how to, uh, play, you know, as, as I guess you could say a complimentary superstar alongside of him. So it kind of, kind of goes back all the way to, um, reinforcing Paul George's decision to sign with the Thunder. Um, the chemistry they've showed has been unbelievable, and kudos to Russell Westbrook for finding a way to continuously impact the game despite the shooting woes. Paul George is currently leading the Oklahoma City Thunder in three-point percentage. In third is Jeremy Grant, who we've already talked about. In fourth is Dennis Schroeder, who we've already talked about. But second on the Oklahoma City Thunder in three-point percentage this season at 38.3%, Terrence Ferguson, and he has had a really surprisingly wonderful season for the, the Thunder team. And I think the part that surprised me the most about this Thunder season is that Andre Roberson has still yet to see the court, and yet the Thunder have been one of the best defensive teams in the league without him. And I think a huge part of that, obviously, is Paul George playing spectacularly on that end. Jeremy Grant continuing to be a wrecking ball on the defensive end, but Ferguson has been really solid as a 3 and D player, and especially given how much he's grown this year, and he's still only 20 years old, it'll be interesting to see how OKC reintegrates Roberson once he's finally healthy, especially given what Terrence Ferguson has shown so far this year. Terrence Ferguson has definitely been one of the most pleasant surprises um, for not only for the Thunder, but as far as uh, role players really taking taking uh, kind of a, the next step this year. Um, he still has some concerns here and there, but he's definitely exceeded expectations. You mentioned he's second on the Thunder in um, shooting percentage from three. That's been huge for them, um, especially when you consider um, someone like Alex Abrinas hasn't really played a big role for them this year. And, of course, Andre Roberson, who's not a great three-point shooter, but um, playing without him, they also weren't able to add uh, guys like Wes Matthews or Wayne Ellington from the buyout market. So Ferguson's really been playing a great, um, a great role for them. I've actually started to hear a couple rumblings, I guess, um, you could say. I think on the, uh, on the Thunder Buddies podcast, they mentioned that they, they wouldn't actually be surprised at all if Robertson didn't come back this year. Um, that was a little bit surprising to me, but given that he suffered kind of a, a setback earlier this year and that you don't really hear too much in terms of, his timetable at least as much anymore. I think the Thunder are kind of preparing for life without him. Um, I don't think that they expected Terrence Ferguson to fill in so admirably for him. Um, of course, hardly any any wing in this league is 
comparable to Andre Roberson when it comes to defense. I mean, he's basically all NBA defense without without the um, without actually being all NBA defense. Um, but Ferguson hasn't, of course, played at that level. But as we kind of mentioned earlier, the Thunder's defensive effort is is best in the league almost, you know, bar none right now. And Ferguson's played a big role for that. So if you're talking about looking forward into the playoffs, I don't think that it's going to be, you know, ideal to have such a young guy starting there. But I don't think it's going to be a huge, at least as big a weakness as as you might have heard or as or as other people might might say. Um, he's really elevated his game to another another level this year, and I look forward to seeing uh, to seeing what he can do in the playoffs. It also helps that Hamadou Diallo has shown a lot of potential in his limited time on the floor so far this year. I think it makes the Thunder a little bit more confident about approaching the playoffs with the risk of injury that obviously Diallo isn't anywhere near at the level of the more regular rotation guys yet. But I think having him as sort of a backup option, ridiculous athlete, future, and by future I mean tomorrow, slam dunk contest competitor, I think that helps as well. And on the Roberson front, I think if he hasn't stepped back on the court by April 1st, that there's no way he's coming back just for the playoffs. I think they'd want to at least have a couple weeks to try and reintegrate him into the rotation. And if it doesn't look like he's going to be back in about a month or so, it might just be a lost season for him. I would agree. If, if you do get to that point, you know, it's, it's April 1st. Um, you could almost argue there's no point bringing him back. I mean, by the time he got reacclimated and, and comfortable within the uh, within the system, you know he's obviously not still not going to be at 100. percent So especially with with the way Ferguson's played, he's made it made that a little bit easier, kind of mitigated those concerns. Um, we got guys like Diallo and Nader who aren't going to be uh, well, probably aren't going to be big playoff contributors. But the fact that you do have those rotation guys that are at least solid and um, have played their role is definitely going to definitely going to help. Um, at least ease, ease the pain of, of no Andre Roberson if he does indeed not come back. Let's move on to the future outlook for this team before we wrap up. And we've discussed Paul George's MVP odds and Defensive Player of the Year odds earlier in the podcast, but I want to circle back to that really quickly. I think that Paul George will finish third in the MVP vote. I think I would have him second at this point, and that's not a knock against James Harden at all. I think it's very close between the two of them for that second spot on my theoretical MVP ballot. But at this point, unless something drastic changes over the next month or so, I would be surprised and a little confused if Paul George doesn't end up with that Defensive Player of the Year title. Yeah, I. you kind of brought up earlier how guys like uh, Draymond, while still having great years, guys like Gobert or Kawhi Leonard are still having great defensive years, but maybe not to that elite of the elite level that you might need in, in order to uh, to get the Defensive Player of the Year award. The guy who is having that kind of year is, is certainly Paul George. So I, you know, if I, if I had a bet on it, I would definitely say Paul George is going to be the, got to be the favorite right now to win the award. And it's it's absolutely well-deserved. Um, great thing is, I don't, I don't think that he's too caught up in the award necessarily, unless I missed, missed a quote about it, but it's by no means a distraction to the team. I think if anything, it would just be either neutral or energize them even more going into the playoffs. So I'm rooting for it to happen. Um, you know, despite Paul George not signing with my Lakers, I, I still root for the guy and I, I still wish him well. And I, I think he should be recognized for this this insane, insanely great um, season on both sides of the ball that, he, that he's having for Oklahoma City. At the All-Star break, the 
Oklahoma City Thunder are two games behind the Denver Nuggets for the second seed in the Western Conference, four games behind the Golden State Warriors for the top seed in the Western Conference, three games ahead of Portland in the fourth seed in the Western Conference. So my question is, where do you think the Oklahoma City Thunder finished the season in terms of seeding? And I would say pretty comfortably that they're going to be either second or third. I would put their chances at more than even odds, so maybe like 55-45, that they end up taking over the second seed from Denver. And I don't mean that as a knock against the incredible season that Denver is having. I think that's more just that the Thunder have gotten better as the season goes on, whereas the Nuggets have maintained, I think. They had a really hot start to the year. Obviously, the Thunder had that 0-4 start to the season. So even though the Nuggets have a two-game advantage over them right now in the seeding, I would probably favor the Oklahoma City Thunder for ending up in that second seed in the Western Conference. How do you think that seeding battle shakes out at the top? I view it pretty much um, in the same way that you do. Uh, the Nuggets definitely deserve credit for you know having a great season. Um, they're they're kind of playing at their peak right now. I would well, I would almost argue that I guess you know certainly they'll be re-energized by the Isaiah Thomas um, addition as he just came back on Wednesday. But it, if if I had to count on one of those teams to really to really make a run and um, and finish as the second seed, I, I at this point I would definitely have to say the the Thunder. While the Nuggets have beat the Thunder um, in both matchups um, this year by seven and eleven points. I expect the Thunder to actually bounce back and take the next two on February 26th and um, towards the end of the season on March 29th. Uh, they play. They'll play one in Denver and one in Oklahoma City. I don't think this Thunder team is by any means scared of the Nuggets. Um, and while they are, a, you know, they're 39 and 18 currently in second place, the Nuggets, I think by the end of the year, you will see the, the Thunder up there um, with the Nuggets, Blazers, Rockets, and, and the rest of the Western Conference to follow. I think it's definitely going to be a... Uh, a Warriors Thunder Western Conference Finals. I'm pretty uh pretty confident in saying that, and I I really hope that's how it plays out. I'd love to see it. That would definitely be the most fun conference final series. I think the Thunder are set up to give the Warriors a better battle than anyone else. I would still take the Warriors over the field in the West. I don't think many people would disagree with that. But if anyone's going to give them a fun, tough six or seven game series like the Rockets did last year. I think OKC is much better prepared for that than anyone else in the conference. And on that front, sort of similar to the seeding question, the Thunder are currently on a 53-win pace. I think that they'll probably end up closer in the 55 to 60 range, so mid to high 50s win total. Where do you think they're going to end up in terms of wins by the time we get to the end of the season? That's a good question. You, you said they're on a 53 game um, or on pace for 53 wins. They are on pace for 53 wins at the moment, but I think they're going to end up higher than that just because, again, I mean, 20% of their losses so far this season came in the first four games of the season. So even though their pace is a little slower than that 55 to 60 win range, I think they end up there. Yeah. I, I would say so as well. Um, I'm kind of looking ahead at their schedule right now. It does look a little tough, but I, I honestly think strength of schedule is a little bit overrated. Um, you can always catch teams on, on certain nights where they might be playing better or worse, worse than normal. And certainly in the Western Conference, you're going to have, um, you know, you're going to have tough games no matter what. So while you, like, for instance, you could look at um, this 
um, outer conference game. They play a, a home and home with the Raptors on the 20th and 22nd of March. But, you know, for all we know, Kawhi Leonard's probably resting at one, if not both of those games. You could have, uh, you know, Fred Van Fleet still out and maybe, you know, maybe another guy resting for, for Toronto. So that, that kind of illustrates, um, I guess, my, my opinion of not overvaluing the strength of schedule. It will be interesting, however, to see um, actually close the season in Milwaukee in what could be, could be um, the battle for the MVP. They also actually play... Uh, play James Harden and the Thunder in the second to last game of the season. So we've got some great, uh, great narrative there. Um, and you talk about going out the regular season with a bang. I think you'll get the Thunder's full effort in that game, um, even if they have already clinched playoff seating. And by that point, I think they'll be going for, you know, the mid to upper upper 50s and wins to, uh, to cap off a phenomenal regular season. In terms of strength of schedule, I think that matters a lot between game 20 and game 60. I think the first 20 games of the year are a bit up in the air just in the sense that you always get those really hot teams to start the year that kind of fall back to earth later on and conversely you get a lot of teams that sort of struggle to figure it out through the first 20 games and then when you're talking about the last 20 or so games of the season I mean you're gonna get the best effort from all the playoff teams as much in game 70 as you were in game 50 but all those teams that are out of the playoff picture come game 70, you know, maybe they would give you a really good fight sort of towards the middle of the season. But towards the end of the year, I think those teams that are out of the playoffs just aren't going to put up as good of an effort as they would have towards the middle of the season. So while I'm not sure I'm entirely on the same boat as you in the strength of the schedule debate, I think it certainly matters a lot more in the middle portion of the season. And now that we're approaching the end of the year in terms of, you know, number of games remaining for these teams, I think it'll matter a lot less other than obviously the games that they're playing against playoff contenders that were going to push them really hard anyway. Let's talk now about finals contention. And I say that more for next season and going forward than this year. I think the Golden State Warriors are clear favorites this year. I don't think it's particularly close, but when you're talking about next year, it certainly seems very, very likely that Kevin Durant will not be a member of the Golden State Warriors next year and might not even be a member of the Western Conference next year. I don't think I'm saying anything that hasn't been said numerous times by people who are admittedly far more well-connected than I am on this front, but I think that the Thunder have a real chance at the title next year. I think their odds this year aren't that great just because the Warriors juggernaut with both Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins is going to be really hard to topple. But DeMarcus is guaranteed to not be a member of the Golden State Warriors next year just because of contract issues and his non-bird rights given that they only got him for a year. And it seems pretty likely at this point that Kevin Durant is not going to be there next year. I think the the Thunder might actually be the Western Conference favorites going into next season, assuming that Durant does, in fact, leave. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that? I would say Kevin Durant will be a New York Knick next year. I would say Boogie Cousins will definitely not be on the Warriors. I agree with you on that. Um, we could probably do a whole podcast just talking about where will Kevin Durant go. But um, as far as where the Thunder will be as, as a finals contender, um, I don't know if I would... I don't disagree with you, but I, I put my opinion right right alongside of yours, I guess. I think they'd be finals contender 1B. I want to say the Warriors might still be 
the favor, just given that, you know, without Boogie and KD, they've, they have already won a title um, and set the, you know, set the record for most regular season wins. But I would, I would expect the Thunder to, you know, at least be number, number two in that race, barring, you know, some crazy off season addition, like, like a, I don't know, Jimmy Butler to the Nuggets or something crazy. But even, even then I would still, I would still argue that um, the Thunder, because of their roster makeup and because of their continuous improvement, as well as having, you know, what you need, those, those two stars and, and role players, I think they're as, as good a bet as any to be, you know, to be, if, if not the first, the, the second um, in terms of favorites to come out of the West next year. Yeah, you're right. I think the Warriors are still going to be the favorite next year. I guess what I was more saying is that if this year, I think it's like a 90-10 or 80-20 split in terms of odds of the Warriors versus the Thunder being the Western Conference Finals representative, I think next year that gets a lot closer to even odds. And, you know, that in essence makes them a finals contender. Whereas this year, it's really hard for me to say that anyone in the Western Conference outside of Oakland is a finals contender. Yeah, I mean the Warriors just play at at such an amazing level. Um, I would say the Thunder are probably you know like a I don't know maybe maybe even less than ten to one chance to win the West this year. I would almost say it might even be like fifteen to one chance um, if this Golden State team is healthy. But I really think that's more indicative of just the fact that we're witnessing all time greatness out of the Warriors, and you know not indicative of all of of anything negative about the Thunder. I think in almost any year and circumstance they'd be one of the uh then uh, they'd be the favorite to come out of the west so you know not rooting for any injuries or anything by any means but if that were to happen you might see those um the thunder's chances increase a bit but all i know is i really 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 am counting on seeing this thunder warriors western conference finals i think that'll be absolute must-see tv and to be honest ho- hopefully I, I we see that the next two seasons i think that'll be some uh you know, some of the best playoff matchups we've we've seen in recent times. So I'm um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right. Anything else before we wrap up? No, I think we've outcovered it. It's been a great season from the Thunder so far. So lots of lots of interesting things to talk about. All right. Well he is Nathan Smith. You can find him on Twitter at Nate Smith NBA and you can find his work on the hashtag basketball website. You can also find my work on the hashtag basketball website and you can follow me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback of any kind, feel free to reach out to me via Twitter or via email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 